There's been an influx of youth into our, our group, and there's more on the horizon. Those names you're, you're saying aren't the only ones uh, that are there. Dylan Coglin came in this year and played some big games for us. So, um, you know, I think uh, for a young franchise, um, you know, it's important to keep infusing that youth. At the same time, uh, it can't be, uh, you know, not earned and, uh, and it can't be at the detriment of the group uh, not winning a Stanley Cup. You know, they have to be able to pull their weight. So, um, you know, that's going to be the challenge for those young guys. Just crush my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Okay. I'm sorry. He was talking about Cody Glass. We'll get to the second. Uh, uh, you, coming I, up in a few. Just youth. He was talking about Man. youth players. Coming up in a few minutes, we're going to give away two tickets to Steel Panther at the House of Blues this Saturday. You want to hang on here, and Jared's going to take a call. We'll give you the number uh, coming up in terms of what caller we'll take. But two tickets coming up to Steel Panther at the House of Blues. You heard Pete DeBoer coming back talking about some of the prospects who have seized their opportunities and some who haven't. We talked to Ryan Wallace about this. I was on the call. The question specifically mentioned Cody Glass, and yet Pete DeBoer did not mention Cody Glass in his comments. Um Look, it's not a secret that Cody Glass has struggled with his development. This team lost Chandler Stevenson in the regular season. They, Stevenson in the regular season. They lost Chandler Stevenson in the playoffs. As we know, he was out in the horizon. By the way, in, in that answer, he was still talking about the horizon. I don't know what's, wrong. I don't know what's with these yeah, people on the he, horizon. Well, like, especially Pete DeBoer. He keeps, Pete DeBoer's out on the horizon with people all well, the time. Well, but he keeps putting people out there. Yeah, he, exactly. I don't know if he wants to be in the horizon, but he's, he's got a bunch of people out there. When you can't go to your first pick in the history of your draft in 17, the sixth overall, and you can't go to him when you lose your center for center depth, that is a major, major problem at this point in Cody Glass's development. And I'm sorry, I think Ryan Walsh is right in what most people said. This is a critical, critical summer for Cody Glass, not only for his Golden Knights features, as Ryan said, but his NHL future. At some point, all the people who wanted to trade for him are going to back off and say, wait a second. You guys needed center help, and he couldn't even get on the ice for you? Now, what's going on there with his development? Uh, he's only good on the power play? I mean, what, are you going to play him two minutes a night? I mean, it's just it's not a good, I guess, forecast for Cody Glass. Now, was I surprised later in the day Kel- Kelly McCrimmon said, no, uh, everything's not linear, and pe- guys develop at you know, different, different times? Maybe that's true. But I think I'll just I'll put it this way: Pete DeBoer was far more straightforward with us without saying anything than Kelly McCrimmon was without saying anything. Whether it be the goalies, whether it be these young kids, whether it be I'm not going to mention Glass's name, but you know I'm talking about Glass when it comes to you got you these guys have to earn it. So I listened far more intently to DeBoer than I did McCrimmon because McCrimmon said absolutely nothing in terms of he praised guys. Well, what else is we you know he's going to praise guys? You, you know he's going to praise guys, but. I thought Pete DeBoer said a few things like, oh, I kind of know what you mean there. And as the coach, and and we know he was, as he should have been, he was not happy in the biggest game against Colorado. He was short skaters because of the position they put themselves in with the salary cap. And if I'm Pete DeBoer before that game, I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, you asked me to coach this team, but you you did this you with the cap. give me a team. To the point of, I don't even have a full team in the most important game uh, of the year. Now, Yes, they went on to beat Minnesota. They went on to beat Colorado. I get that. But in that moment, you're like, whoa, we have to have home ice if we play these dudes. They're the best team in hockey. And he was not, and he was not happy. And again, you know, good soldier after the game. It is what it is. This is the way. We didn't win the game. 
But I can't believe he wasn't throwing things behind the wall saying, what, what the hell's going on? It's it's also it's very telling that what was the what, what was the phrase they used in year one that they like to overcook their prospects. Oh, yeah, overcook the prospects. It it, George McPhee was burning the turkey on Thanksgiving because he was always overcooking people. He was in that kitchen and the kid forgot about the turkey and then everyone started smelling stuff across the house. Like what happened? Oh, George burned the turkey because he's overcooking the prospects. Okay, but then you have Haig and White Cloud and even Ryan just said that like. Peyton Krebs looks like he's going to be, he's immediately going to translate. It's like, so you only overcook them if they can't play? Well, that's, and that's a good point because, you know, if Krebs doesn't get hurt, who knows what happens? I mean, I think he was, I think Kelly said he might have been able to play there, but he, he had the bad injury with the jaw. So at the end of the day, maybe he just wasn't completely ready. It just seems like you said, it seems like that everything you hear from this organization is really high on Krebs, not so much on glass. And it's it's not even from the organization too. Like there are people like you talk to who are hockey guys that are like, I think Peyton Krebs is immediately like right. he, he might he might be he like go, Ryan said he might be a top six guy yeah. next year. It, 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 what are we talking about overcooking guys? Then? Yeah, uh, I I think Cody Glass is in for a really important summer. And, and Ryan mentioned this as well. Some guys look. When they get in the NHL and they get in these type of lifting programs, I mean, they're going to get bigger. They're going to get stronger. He obviously has a problem getting to that mature part of his body in terms of being physical. And Ryan mentioned it. And but he's been around a while, and I guarantee he's been in their 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 nutrition system. I guarantee he's been in their lifting system. And maybe some guys now you can say that and. What does everyone say about Cole Caulfield? Well, he's a really small guy. Well, he's pretty skilled too, though, as we saw against Montreal. So I'm not saying you have to be gigantic or huge to play the sport. There are other, there are many, many examples of smaller guys who are terrific hockey players. Marcia but they show. keep, yeah, exactly. But they keep kind of talking about this when it comes to Cody Glass. This was the issue, like you know, even you know before he had the knee and after he had the knee. Well, he's trying to get bigger. He's trying to get more physical. He's trying to do this. I don't know if he's that guy. And again, this is a if, really, really critical summer for him. If you're gonna, if you, if you need a guy that can only play on the power play, you should have kept Peary. Like you should, like it, at least you know he scores. What if you did both Brandon Peary and Cody Glass and Peyton Krebs, and you threw them all out there, but only two can play in two minutes, and then Peyton Krebs plays like eighteen, and you split it between them, and you come up with twenty-two minutes of hey, time? Hey, hey, hey! They don't have enough. Uh, they don't have enough <laughs> spots on the roster because they're in cap hell. Uh, also want to ask about this. Uh, Pete DeVore says the coaching staff has to turn over some stones. Well, they do because your power play was atrocious. Now, and the other thing is, I think it it became it came under the spotlight because of the playoffs, and it was just horrible. Over fifteen um, in the uh, in the Montreal series, they only were successful four times in the entire playoffs. We've talked about this. This goes back to like April first. Like they've stunk on the power play this year for a really, really long time. It gets magnified in the playoffs. It certainly gets magnified when you're in a series with Montreal. A lot of the games are going to overtime and one goal games, and you can't score in the power play. And it's like you said earlier in the show, Ben Goat said, score one or two. It's a different series. They win the series, and they're in the yeah. Stanley Cup final. So I know why it was magnified, but I think what people are missing is I think they were ranked 22nd, 23rd in the league in power play this year. They weren't any good. So they can't not just look at the playoffs. They like, what happened the entire year? Why did you essentially stink on the power play. Um, does that include Steve Spot? Steve Spot's uh, job in jeopardy? I mean, if you say you have to turn over stones as a coaching staff and the one thing a certain person is in charge of is by far your worst attribute, 
you, I mean, do you say, Steve, get something going here? Or we got to find someone who can do. I don't know what ter- you know when he says they have to turn over some stones. I think mostly that means they have to look at schematically who's playing where, what do you need to be better. But at some point, it's also going to mean like, hey, who's in charge of that? Well, it's also how many times watching their power plays during that uh, Canadians series did you? They are passing it around and somebody just misses. Like they they're passing it around the blue line and they just wing it into their yeah. own zone and it's what, what 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 are you guys just not prepared like do you not have a plan going in on the power play or is the like what i also think even as great as some of those because look mark stone's a great player he had a horrible series uh max patrick a you know great goal scorer he wasn't any good um the misfit line finally had one or two games that you could actually say they showed up i do think i want to ask you that i mean i think at some point even as high levels they are in the lead as they are it gets in your head doesn't it i mean then you start forcing things i mean because all you're hearing about is how bad you are all you're reading about or listening to is how bad you are even at that level great nhl players it has to start messing with them at some point it's like we can't do anything here and every time it's cleared you know cleared by montreal or colorado whoever like here we go again and that and then you and the worst thing about to me the worst thing even guys at level is the press if you start thinking about stuff and you're pressing, you got no chance. Then you have no chances. Like uh, you, you have no chance to score here because all you're doing is thinking about it and you're overthinking the room. There were so many passes that looked like they did. They thought somebody was going to be somewhere, and there was no one there. And it, to me, that's that's absolutely like it's like in basketball where you see a guy just throw it to a corner and there's nobody in that corner, and you're like, did you just think somebody would have magically like? pop up like a daisy and catch the ball like you have to like yeah there's flow but you're overthinking like oh, oh they oh overthought god, it. oh god oh god okay i need a, a, a corner no they overthought it i mean and look i that happens to all professional athletes yeah. and it, never mind you know I mean, it happens to high school and college athletes but even at the professional level when you're as bad as they were at something you start pressing, and like you said, maybe you're out of position because you're trying to make an extra play, and you're not really where you should be because you're like, well, this time let's try this, and then it just gets worse and worse, and it continues to get, you know, you continue to fail at it, and then, and I'll say this, Montreal had a really good penalty kill. They were great at it, but they, I think, even looked better because of the because of the uh, um, inability of the Knights to do anything. I mean, they made, Montreal's a really good penalty kill. The Knights did a good job making them look great. Like they, like well, when you're that bad, and, and you're not, you're not executing at all. And, and again, Carey Price, great goalie. I get all that. They're big. They're physical. They block shots. I get all that. But when you miss on that many times, eventually, like man, they're making us look pretty good because it's in their heads now. And it's it's goes back to kind of what Ryan was saying, where it's was Carey Price even challenged in this? Like they're too. I think he was good. Like I said, I, no, out of his obviously head, he was good. But yeah, I don't think God. out of his head. I, you and I were talking about this with Tyler last week. If you go back, and we're certainly not going to say over six games, we remember every shot uh, the Golden Knights took. And their top six didn't talk, top three didn't take much. But um, I'm trying to think on my hand how many times he made the one on Carlson was great. Although I don't think he even realized he made it. Just took his blocker, uh, stuck the blocker out. How many times he made saves? You're like, wow, that's I, an amazing. I mean, the Knights helped him tremendously with. Whether they're shooting on that, shooting at him, not get, you know, not coming in from the side, not getting high danger chances against him, he was good. Let's be honest, he was really good. And hell, he might go beat Tampa Bay. Who knows? Like Ryan yeah. said, it just but might be. Let, it he, might just be their year. Just like you were saying, though, 
he let the Golden Knights game come to him. Yeah, he was where, just, for were, the most part, he just had to stand there and make you know, pretty basic saves for someone at his level. Yeah, like, but there were saves by Flurry and Leonard that I genuinely was like, holy crap! Yeah. Like, this game should be 6 nothing yeah. right now, and these guys are, like, dragging, both both goalies for the Golden Knights are dragging this team back into this game, and uh, Carey Price just sort of, ah, yeah, you, you shot it into my chest, I got it. Till Flurry went to clear the puck, and yeah, that no, wasn't I mean, very good. That was very good. You think that haunts them? Someone told me after that game, if they go, if they go and win the series, which they didn't, at this point they're they're like making fun of them in the room about it, <laughs> yeah, and they're ribbing them about it. That didn't happen. They lost the series. For someone who's been through, you know, decade, you know, the wars of of hockey, and he's won three cups and all that. He's seen the good, the bad. He's been benched in the Stanley Cup players, all of that. Like, how long do you think that sticks with a guy? Or is it like I've seen everything, I've done everything. It was a bad play. I screwed up. You move on, and where am I going to play next year? Well, I mean, it's one of those things where how many times have we seen him get beat on a poke check, and all of us go, "Why did he do that?" Next game, he pokes the he, like he, yeah. he goes for it, it works, and so it's like he he must like he must have a. I mean, the he's memory. exciting to watch because at any point he could make an incredible play, and at any point he could do something really stupid, which you kind of like that from him because you're like you never know what might happen. You know, when he goes back to clear it, when he goes behind the net all the time. I mean, three or four times in the playoffs, like man, that got close, and they were bearing down him. They were bearing down him on the forecheck. It's like man, that got a little close for like you know for for how you how probably Pete DeBoer wants it to be, but other than the time he obviously missed and and they uh, scored the uh, the. Uh, the tie goal to uh, force the OT, um, that, uh, that wasn't good. All right, caller number nine. I have no idea why I just picked that number. But caller number nine, 702-364-1100, 702-364-1100. Right now, Steel Panther at House of Blues. Steel Panther at House of Blues this Saturday night, July 3rd. We're giving away two tickets. Caller number nine, 702-364-1100. Call now. I typed your symptoms into the thing up here and it says you could have network connectivity problems. Jared has questions, dumb questions. Here's a segment called Jared's Dumb Questions. You're the worst. Okay, she is just saying that to fit in. Oh, let's get dumb. Oh, let's get dumb. Congratulations oh, to Todd from Henderson. Takes home those Steel Panther tickets. Should I know should I know the songs from Steel Panther? I mean, I don't know I, the songs um, from the Beatles, never if, mind from Steel Panther. If Steel Panther is what I think it is, which I could have this completely wrong, I think it's almost like a... What is it? <sighs> Should we know these things? I, <laughs> we just gave away two tickets to Tom from Anderson. If it's <laughs> if it's who I think it is, um, yeah, they're kind of like a 80s hair metal okay. group that's right. like... It's sort of like their whole thing is that they're like... An exaggerated version of '80s hair metal. If that is this it, like a band like Pam Anderson dated, like the lead guy. No, this would be like their whole, like their whole concept is more like they would have been someone Pam Anderson would have dated, except right. that they're still touring today and they they're still, st- but they're still doing the things that like, from the '80s. Yeah, right. and so it's sort of. I don't know how far the tongue is in cheek, so I'm kind of like it, I, I don't I don't want to use the word parody, but okay. it almost feels like it's inching towards the line where it's like, is this a parody of an '80s hair band, or is this just so exaggerated and so '80s that it's like, 
I don't know. From what I can tell, they they oh, I mean they put on a great concert and they have some of I don't know. They have some interesting songs. But, Tom, Tom, we hope you have a great yeah, time. No, it, a great time. We'll, I, we'll I give away two more. We'll to give go. away two tickets tomorrow. Um, I will say, all right. So it's Jared's dumb questions, and I I only have two today because uh, I wasn't actually prepared to do Jared's dumb questions today. So. Uh, I like to. I, I whenever I think of these, normally while driving or in the shower, I try to save <laughs> like them. Jerry up. Jones. I was thinking about it in the shower. Yeah, um, I try to save them up so that if Jared's dumb questions come around, I have a bunch of them to go through. So, my first one is: Who is the least vaccinated NFL quarterback? <sighs> like I, I, I get the feeling like well, obvi- obviously. Who I mean, Josh Allen's talked about it, right? Well, and like I he, mean, I thought he Sam was the one Darnold. Came out. Sam, excuse me, Sam, Sam Darnold. Darnold. Sam Darnold's the one who came out and had some pretty yeah, but I'm also strong statements. Yes, he, but he's actually come out and said it. I'm saying like, who is the guy that's because famously didn't Russell Wilson say that bubbles cure concussions, and then you have Tom Brady with his doctor that's not really a doctor. Yeah, I don't think then, I don't think Alex is given shot. Well. <laughs> I, I just right I, I just feel like Tom Brady, like as much as I like this new cursing Tom Brady, I just feel like he's the type of guy that's like, I have never eaten a piece of chocolate. Do you think a disease could survive in my system? He probably definitely has the arrogance of I am my body's a temple, a real temple, and uh, I drink nothing but water and like I have two percent body fat in my forties. Um, I. This might sound completely crazy to you, so I'll go Ed's dumb questions back to Jared's dumb questions. Would the wife say we got small kids, you're getting vaccinated? I mean... Would she <laughs> hold that? I mean, first of all, she makes more money than him. She, she runs the house. She runs the mansion. I think she actually does run the mansion, but um, would she say, no, you're you're getting... We got we got a family now. We have a family here, and you're getting vaccinated. I don't know. I know nothing. That's, maybe maybe that... she's a total anti-vaxxer. I don't even know if he is, but I'm just... when I When I think of those things, the first thing I think is... You know, because I know who runs my house, <laughs> is what would the person in charge say? And Giselle, I don't know if she'd say no. It's We have kids well, running a, around That's here. always the, the weird one is, like, is the spouse the normal one in the relationship? Or is the spouse, like, also like, yeah, though, that's why we get along. It's because we're both in—neither of us had a, have had a strawberry since the Reagan administration. Like In that weird relationship, I'm not so sure. I'm not certain. Now, does she? Like, here's the she, thing. Does she follow his weird regimen? Maybe I, she does. I, I mean, she's a supermodel. Maybe she does. Or she just doesn't have to. And, or she doesn't have yeah, to. And she's and, blessed, and she, you know, she can do whatever she wants. He like he wakes up every morning and looks at that picture of him from the draft, and yes. he goes, "I'll never I will be that never guy again." Eat chocolate. He wakes right. up and Ted's in his room. Okay, <laughs> Ted. Um. All right, so my other one is, and this was just something, and maybe we should bring this up with David Roth later in the week because we used to remember guys with him, but I was thinking about this because I shaved yesterday, and I shaved in, like, segments because I think it's funny. So, like, I— So you have half your face— no, like I, I like I would have I had like mutton chops for a second okay. there, and then right. I had a, a like, uh, yeah, Fu Manchu, and then, like, all yeah, right. all kinds of fun stuff. But uh, I left the, like, a strip. Down like from right my down. yeah from my yeah. soul patch down to my chin yes. and I then just like my brain went uh, Scott Spezio the old the old the old Cardinals player yes. who used to dye that thing for whatever reason and it was the creepiest thing in the world I'm trying to think of like who currently in 
Major League Baseball is actually like trying like it not not ironically because I think Paul Blackburn uh, for the Aviators or for the A's he has like a handlebar mustache that he twer- like he twists into an actual like I never understood those I, to me that would take far too much time. Well, I think there's like, like some in the morning. Sort of, I, I don't have time in the morning to do stuff like that. I think it's supposed to be some sort of like post-ironic, like huh, look at look at uh, look at my mustache, like in honor of Ro- Raleigh Fingers. I don't or know. Or maybe I mean, maybe that's what it is. Actually, that would make more sense because he. I mean, he does play in the A's. He does organization, play in the A's organization. But I'm trying to think like. Were the mid two thousands like the heyday of man? We got some bad facial hair here in the major leagues. Because <laughs> I mean, the eighties you'd get the you'd just get everyone well, don't had you have the. Like, but you also have like Charlie Blackburn. These guys with these just enormous beards now. I don't yeah. even I don't even know how they grow these. My son has one where like it just keeps growing, and sometimes he'll trim it, sometimes he won't. I'm like, man, that takes a long time. Yeah, and I'm see, I'm I'm a very patchy person, so it's like, yeah, no, we've we've hit the yeah, point. Yeah, I've of shade. tried. It's just this. No, not, it's, it's not, not happening. Not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. But I just, I, I never understood the handlebar. I I I don't like how it looks. I think it would take too long. I don't have time for that to be twirling. I just get up and you know throw on shorts and a t-shirt and come and see you. <laughs> maybe that's well, but maybe that's uh, he's like. I just use rosin, and then you know, every if I need to load up the ball, I just twirl my mustache a little bit, but. I, I genuinely am trying to think of like, does anyone have the Movember? Like, does anyone have a permanent mustache Ooh. in the major leagues anymore? I'm trying to think of somebody. Is, does anyone have like a permanent like? Because yeah, you're you're right. It's either a enormous beard, or basically like cliche. just a basic mustache. No, I can't think of anyone that right off the top of my head. Because I used to have like so. Growing up, you'd get these baseball cards all from the 80s, oh, and they everyone, have, they everyone had a mustache yeah. and a hat that was, yes. looked like it was nine sizes too yeah. big and glasses that were like, I don't know, somehow aviator glasses, but they, they had, had clear glasses yes. in them. They had the bushy mustache in the 80s of the baseball players. Now, I can't – you know the last mustache I saw was Marc-Andre Fleury. Oh, good. Like he drove he he I don't know no, I don't think he, I was on, he was on the Zoom the other day I think he shaved it off but that I actually said that when I saw him in a mustache I'm like you know what I don't see athletes anymore just basic mustaches they're either especially in hockey they're beards and they all get like the the the, the shadows and like they're, they're hockey players but Flurry had the mustaches here I'm like that's eh, kind of unique is that like some joke he's playing on his kids I I saw him like that has to be some kind of humorous thing he's doing because he and the wife try to like they play you know he's a prankster he's a jokester I'm like is this did he lose a bet at home or maybe I mean, that's maybe he can't grow have we ever seen him with a playoff beard maybe he can't i've never grow, seen him with a beard maybe he can't grow i've the, seen him with a goatee maybe maybe he's like me he can't grow the he can't grow the facial hair and he's like the mustache is coming yeah. in though he's trying to bring it back <laughs> uh before we get to ken summers real quick wanted to know what you thought about this mariners pitcher hector santiago was ejected said it was the first one that you know was uh ejected after being um uh the mitt looked at and himself inspected Said it was what he say. He said rosin and sweat. He said I just used rosin, and then I think later in his answer, he's like, "Yeah, like it. I guess sweat." Like he seemed very genuinely confused. And if you if you listen to his answer, I think he was like, "Yeah, he came out and he checked me, and I was like, yeah, sure, check me.' Right, right. And then they threw me out, and I was like, "Wait, what? Sweat and rosin? This is what's going to happen now, though." And he gets he gets bumped ten days. I don't know. And Bauer talked about this. I told you in, uh, the other night or last night on the um, on the Dodger telecast. And boy, he was like a scientist. Like, hey, you've used some stuff because he he broke it down. 
nothing on your hand, rosin on your hand, uh, this tack stuff on your hand. And this is what does ball. It was like almost a science experiment to listen to Bauer. But then you get a guy like this who says, no, it was rosin and sweat. I mean, I guess they send the glove for inspection, but I think you're going to get some of these where, like, you're going to not really know what it is, and you're going to throw a guy out of a game, and I don't like it. But, and Bauer made a good point. He goes, doing this in front of everyone's stupid. He goes, you want to go into the dugout and do stuff? He goes, but guys taking their belts off and all this stuff in front of people. He goes, this is, he goes, this is no, really, it's really— it's performative. It, it's, exactly. It's just— and, um, I mean, yeah, we, 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 need to, we need to move on, but the, uh, the best part was, I believe, uh, Manfred basically saying, like, well, we didn't want the press to get involved. Yes, exactly. and it's like, <laughs> dude, we're involved. Are you the like most like? Are you the most reactionary? Yeah. Like, oh, oh I, I just yeah. don't want bad PR. He's one of the most reactionary commissioners in the history of uh, sports. All right, when we come back, you want to know all about the Phoenix Suns and trying to get Chris Ball to Chris Ball to uh, NBA Finals? We'll talk to Kent Summers of the Arizona Republic. No timeouts. Here's the first free throw. There Not we good. go. Not good. Playoff P. So Paul George will miss the free throw. How do you feel about your conditioning and health going into game I five? I couldn't make a damn shot. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I tell you, Rach, my nerves are a lot better actually out here playing than they are at home watching. So I'm just happy to be here with my teammates, man, and we're going to keep chugging along. Who could make a shot the other night in that game? I just enjoyed the the color guy goes, playoff beat! <laughs> <laughs> Follow him on Twitter at Kent Summers, K-E-N-T-S-O-M-E-R-S. Columnist for the Arizona Republic here to talk about the Phoenix Suns. Kent, we appreciate the time. How are you? I'm doing well, Ed. Thanks Good. for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. Okay, so before we get to this specific series, I want to ask you because we see the we see the excitement from that fan base now. We see the people going crazy. And you kind of harken back to, you know, Barkley and Marley and Nash and all of these guys, and then there was that kind of long time where we didn't see that. Can you bring us into the the town right now and really to explain how this team has kind of re-energized everyone and kind of brought back those memories of what it can be like in Phoenix when this team is this good? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been dormant that excitement for the Suns. I mean, they haven't, you know, in the, this first time in the playoffs in eleven years, and it wasn't just a mediocre eleven years. I mean, they were a lot of times just downright awful. You're, you're talking about a team that won nineteen games two years ago, and it looked like there was, you know, outside of Devin Booker, it looked like there was zero hope this franchise and, and this has always been a son's town it's the original franchise here expansion came in 1968 jerry colangelo was 28 years old was the gm then so it, it's always held a special place i think in the hearts of fans here um you know obviously I had other teams move in the cardinals right. the coyotes but yeah, the, the Suns are just a little bit different. And when they're good and when they're exciting, they, they turn on this town, I think, in a way that, you know, maybe the Cardinals can't, maybe the Coyotes can't, and the Diamondbacks can't. Um, and it's, I don't know yet if it's reached 1993 proportions. I was around for that, and, and people back then were painting windows and painting their driveways purple and orange and, and everybody, it seemed, had a sign on their car. But I, I think it's it's approaching that level. Uh, Saturday night when they played in L.A., the downtown arena here in Phoenix still had 10,000, 12, 10, 12,000 people in it watching wow. the game. So, yeah, it's it's uh, the, the town's about to go nuts. And if they can, you know, close it out, you know, especially especially tonight, I, I think you'll really see a takeoff. Uh how much of the narrative is there playing for Chris Paul has taken uh, the lead there? 
he certainly made a huge difference. I think there were some things in place before they traded for him, and, and he was willing to come here. Right. One, I think it took the owner, Robert Sarver, backing away and not meddling as much, which he did for you know most of the time since he bought the team from Jerry Colangelo's ownership group in the early 2000s. And, you know, it's sort of a, a guy who had been a sports fan and a basketball fan for a long time. They get a and, and they, you know, they want to be involved in every level of the decisions. Sure. He, you know, got rid of some good people. Some good people couldn't work for him. He hired some people he shouldn't have, et cetera. But he, he changed. He, he, he backed off. He hired James Jones as general manager, which was a surprise move that a lot of people have been were critical of at the time, but has really panned out now executive of the year. And and a big move was he allowed James Jones to hire Monty Williams, and, mm-hmm. and Sarver stepped up with a five-year contract, which he had never done for a head coach before. I think the longest was maybe three years, and he and he paid him. And James Jones has such a, 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 a James Jones and Monty Williams have such good reputations in the league. I think it it raised eyebrows, like okay, maybe the Suns know what they're doing, right. and and we can you know, and, and then they can finally get some talent to put around Devin Booker. I I think that was the start, but certainly they needed someone like Chris Paul in here, a, a veteran who not only a great player, but would challenge some of their younger players and, and sort of lead them and tell them, you know, what it takes to get to the point where they are now. Well, and you, you just mentioned him, and I, I love the fact that uh, they've gone so deep because I still believe as great as he's been, uh, there are probably segments of uh, of the country uh, outside the West that said, oh, I kind of remember Devin Booker from college. You know, yeah, they say he's a good player, but he is on a world stage now where people are realizing that. Um, would you agree with that? As much as you guys knew and you know how good he was, now it's like now people are watching it that are like, oh, wait, ooh, look at this guy. Yeah, I think I think that's the case. I think, you know, if you were a casual NBA fan, just watched them occasionally and didn't know anything about the Suns and you know, and why would you make any effort to find out much about the Suns in those eleven years? You you just thought Booker, hey, you know, nice young player, stuck on a bad team, stacking stats on a bad team, they've got no other offensive threats, so of course he's gonna score twenty five a game. And and he's been better than that for a long time and it was just a matter of you know in today's nba it was you know can you, you think okay can the players you have attract other players can they get their friends to come here do the other guys in the league you know view this as an attractive destination and right and and devin booker was about the only thing this team had and and then, like i said and when they added a, a james jones amani williams Chris Paul's relationship with Devin Booker goes back to when Booker worked out in Los Angeles before he was drafted. Those two worked out together. So Chris Paul knew you knew, knew a lot about Devin Booker, knew him personally, um, knew Monty Williams had played for him before. So those were key factors in, in getting Chris Paul to come here. Had, was there, in, maybe not in Phoenix, and it would look, it was just a few years ago, I get that, but the 18 draft, uh, I think people right now are saying, you know what, look at the maturation or the coming on of uh, DeAndre Ayton. Uh, Luca was in that draft, picked after him. Uh, Trey Young was in that draft, picked after him. Is DeAndre Ayton, I guess, in some minds, there is other people have watched Luca and Trey develop. Uh, well, now this is why they got him. They had Booker, and I understood why they drafted him at the time because they had wings, they had people they wanted to put him around him. But are people now, at least in Phoenix or other places, you hear saying, "Oh, okay, he's now living up to that hype"? Yeah, no, no question about it. This 
this, uh, his playoff performance has been a revelation. And there are a lot of people now saying, oh, we'll, it takes, you know, we, we knew it take, it took, uh, take big guys longer to come around. We knew he'd mature, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's some revisionist history <laughs> going on because, you know, you're talking about a guy in his second year was suspended 25 games yep. for performance enhancing drugs. So that's, that delayed his development. That's his fault. And even earlier this year, there were frustrations within the team about his maturity and how hard he worked and how hard he played. There was a stretch, I think, in, in January, February, where Monty Williams kept him on the bench for entire fourth quarters for a handful of games and, and, and played Dario Saric instead. And, you know, there was a message being sent. Chris Paul said the other night after Saturday night's games, like, look, DeAndre and I had some really tough conversations early in the year. I mean, Devin Booker, too. I mean, guys were on his butt to grow up and to run the court and to work hard and to get in the gym beyond just the minimal requirement. And to his credit, Aiton has done that. And they've seen a different guy in, in these playoffs. And he's, he's tenacious. He's up and down the court. He's been, uh, you know, he's been tough. He's made big, he's been their best player against the Clippers. And, and it hasn't really, you know, been close. And it's, as Chris Paul said the other night, you know, DeAndre's, you know, going to make himself a bucket of money this, this summer when they're probably going to, you know, have to give him a max contract. Uh, it's part of the narrative. It has to be part of the narrative. I don't know on the Sun side if they're talking about it much, but if they close him out, and I think eventually they do up 3-1, how much will no Kawhi Leonard play in the narrative? Oh, it'll be a big factor. Um, certainly if you're – you know, not a Suns fan, you know, you're looking at this from afar and thinking of the Suns run in the playoffs where, you know, Anthony Davis of the Lakers gets hurt early in the first round. Mm -hmm. He doesn't play, you know, they catch, um, the nuggets without, um, Jamal Murray. Um, you know, and now they get the clip for Kawhi Leonard and Serge Ibaka. Yep. So, you know, the Suns would counter, you know, look, you know, Chris Paul hurt his shoulder against the Lakers, was really not himself for a couple of games. Devin Booker has a broken nose. Chris Paul tests positive for COVID, missed a couple games. It's not, you know, they could come back and say, look, it's not like we haven't gone through challenges. Mm -hmm. But what, what's interesting is I, I did a piece, you know, with Jerry Colangelo quoting him um, last week, you know, kind of looking back and when, when did he think this team could win it all? And he said a couple of months ago, he was telling people, look, this is a really good team. They play together. They're tough, they're gritty, and he looked at it, he goes, there was nothing in the Suns' way. There were no Lakers teams loaded with stars. There was no Michael Jordan looming. You know, they, he thought the Suns had as good a chance as anybody and, and that those factors or lack of factors really gave them advantage, and it's, and it's true. I, I, you know, I think this, this could you know, definitely be their year to, to, to win the first title in franchise history. Final question for you. Uh, Monty's done an incredible job. Um, what attributes do you think best defines him as a coach and getting them this far? It's really interesting. And, and you know, I've, I've been around this a long time, like you had. And, and, and when you're around a coach for the first time, I know you, you just kind of get the feeling if they have it or not. And, mm -hmm. and you, can, you can just see how these players follow him and respect him. I think he... Um, he has a real knack for being tough and, and challenging them and having, you know, and developing 
and at the same time recognizing what they go through. You know, he's a he's a former player. Um, he's been around a lot. This is his second head coaching stint. Um, he's been through personal tragedy, having lost his wife in a car wreck when he was an assistant at Oklahoma City. And just, you know, players know how he handles himself in, in you know, in stressful times and chaotic times and really sad, challenging times. So there's a tremendous amount of respect there. And, and also, you know, he's proven to be a really good X's and O's guys. You know, Chris, Chris Paul just raves about how prepared this team is. And you could see it the other night against the Clippers. I, I don't know too many NBA teams that would start fouling to prevent a three-pointer with, you know, that much time yep. left on the clock, 17 seconds, 20-something seconds. There was a lot of confidence that, one, his team was going to get the rebound, two, that they were going to get the ball to Chris Paul afterward, and, and three, that Chris Paul was going to make free throws and make enough of them to, to hold off the Clippers. And all those things happened. I mean, it was a little bit of an unusual coaching move, but it's, it's paid off. And really, he's done a lot of things throughout the playoffs, mix, mix, mixing and matching uh, lineups, you know, one one. One series, you know, Saric, for instance, barely played in the last four games against the Lakers. and All of a sudden, he's, he's on the floor against the Nuggets and in this series against the Clippers and, and giving them some valuable minutes. So he's, he's just, a, you know, the cliche just pushed all, all the right buttons. And, you know, everybody in the organization loves him. And I, I, I think it's, a, it, like I said, it's a big, big reason Chris Paul uh, agreed to come here. And it, it may, may be owner Robert Sarver's best move. Was agreeing to give Monty Williams a five-year contract and and not let him go somewhere else, namely to the Lakers. Sports columnist Arizona Republic does an incredible job covering all things Arizona, uh, following the Suns as they march towards the NBA Finals. Follow him on Twitter at Kent Summers, K E N T S O M E R S. Kent, we appreciate the time. Thanks very much. This is great. Great. Thanks for having me. Up. Take care of yourself. There he is. Uh, follow him on Twitter again. K E N T S O M E R S does a great job as the Arizona Republic columnist. And yeah, there's your sons. Uh, that's a lot of great stuff about the sons. I, I mean, mean, I, cause obviously I wasn't, you know, aware of what was going on in 1993, but Barkley Marley. Yeah, no, that's, that, Against Jordan. I, I, yeah, I know, Jordan. I know yeah. that I like, I know the team, but at the same time I'm sitting here going like people were painting their driveway. Yeah. Like that's, that to me was like a whole I, level of like, wait. I also don't know if I want to go purple on the driveway. Like if my team's blue. Oh, I, I love purple. Like purple is <laughs> a great color, but it's like, that's definitely a level of we're painting the driveway purple. You, you come home and like you're. The the wife or the like the partner comes up and goes, "What did you do?" Yes, we are fans. When we come back, we'll close it out at Ted and Jared. Wrapping it up here on a Monday, Ted and Jared. Tyler off today. Hope to have him back tomorrow. Uh, wrote a column in the paper today about um, Golden Knights fans and how spoiled they are. Which I don't have a problem with because if you're spoiled, that means your team's winning a lot. So it's, you know, I mean, it's better than apathy and the opposite because nobody cares and you certainly don't want that. Um, have a, a Knights fan at home, though. At this point, the wife is still upset they haven't traded for Connor McDavid. Okay, now, that's, a, is, that's a level of like, <laughs> I, okay. I get, also, I get we were in a hockey market beforehand, right. but there's also but, like, that love. She also. I'm also mad that the uh, Cubs haven't traded for uh, Mike Trout yet. Yeah, like, a, I'd like him on the Dodgers. Yeah. Um, she also, though, when the actually at this point, I'll take the Grom over both of them. <laughs> well, I'll take him too. But the uh, 
series is ending against Montreal, and they're in the handshake line. She said, you know, this is her season. Any thoughts? They should probably rethink that Suzuki trade and get him back, along with Cole Caulfield. <laughs> so yeah, get- this is what I exist with on a daily basis, having to try to understand why they have not got Connor McDavid. I, as I wrote this morning, I'm a little surprised she hasn't pushed for Nathan McKinnon yet. Maybe she just maybe she just isn't a Nathan McKinnon fan for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but I did write about the fan base and how it's it's spoiled, which is like I said, it's a good thing that it's spoiled because that means you're winning a lot. Have you found my question to you, have you found hockey fans in Vegas more condescending than others? Like with the knowledge of hockey? I kind of laugh at that a lot. It it definitely feels like um your friend who just found out about a band that you've been listening to for, for like, years, and they're like, well, you know, when they recorded the third album, they actually did it at yeah. Abbey Road, and you're like, don't yeah. You get, I, you get that yeah. a lot, don't you? It, it, it definitely feels like, it. it yeah, it, I, I'm just happy that it's not UNLV basketball at this point, where the, the fan base hasn't turned angry and in right. on itself. Well, and the and I look. I don't think this is going to happen for a long time because I think they're really good and Foley will spend to the cap and they want to be really good. The true test of this fan base will be five, ten, fifteen years down the road. I don't know when it is when they don't make the playoffs for like a few years or they're just fighting to get in or I don't know. They're Montreal in the 18th best record in the league <laughs> the next season. Maybe that's the way they win the cup. Uh, but that's going to be to me like the true test of this fan base, right? When they're not good. And again, I'll preface this by saying I think they're going to be good for a really long time. Um, but it's, you don't really know how fans are until you lose, right? Yes. And they've never lost. They never went through the expansion experience, ever. It's never been that way. And again, good for them. Like, you gotta feel, if you're a Golden Knights fan, you gotta be excited. You have an owner who spends money. He wants to win more than anything. He'll do whatever it takes. So, I think it's interesting, like, we might not see for a very long time the level they'll go to of their loyalty because it really only that medal's only tested really when you don't win and i think they're winning for a really long time here like i don't think they're gonna lose very soon they they just i mean luckily they just got shuffled into a really tough well uh, <laughs> if you thought the division was bad this year i mean colorado and minnesota leaves next year and you had that kraken so you know i mean you had the seattle kraken in the books yeah, pick up the paper wrote about it today Shameless plug here for the Las Vegas Review Journal. Talk to you tomorrow.